morning, if we can find our seats. Again, if you can find your seats, please, and turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, we'll be starting in verse 16. If you would, read along with me. Starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up from Mount Sinai, up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain, consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests, the people, break through to come up to the Lord, lest Moses went down to the people and told them, and the Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. this morning as we go over this passage, Lord, that we grasp a better understanding of who you truly are, Lord, that we leave this morning with a sense of awe, that we understand, Lord, just how great, transcendent, how holy, how big you truly are. I pray with that understanding, God, that when we learn that you have paved a way for us to have a relationship through with you, Lord, that we don't take for granted what it costs, what it took for our forgiveness, for our sins to be washed clean, that we could draw near to the presence of God. Lord, I pray that understanding of your holiness, understanding of your wrath towards sin and sinners and evil, that through that, Lord, it lays a foundation that we can truly understand the love of God displayed through Christ our Savior. Be with us this morning as we go through this text in your Son's name. Amen. 
week. We were in chapter 19. We are going to be hopefully finishing up chapter 19 this week. We saw last week the people, the Israelites, preparing themselves for the arrival of the Lord on Mount Sinai. We learned through the preparation, getting prepared for God's presence, that there is a separation between a holy God and a sinful man. There's a separation between Yahweh, who is holy, and Israel, who is sinful. And it's through this separation that we also learned Israel's need for a mediator. Moses' role as the mediator as he would go up and down the mountain between this holy God and sinful people. That Israel had no access to God outside of this mediator. For Israel, Moses was their only way to God. And we saw last week how this pointed us straight to Jesus, who is the truer and better Moses, the truer and better mediator. That Moses' whole life did really one thing, and that was to point Israel forward, to point us, the reader, to Jesus. Today, I want to look at the separation again that we see so clearly in chapter 19, and how Jesus is not only the truer and better mediator that bridges the gap between a holy God and a sinful people, but also how Jesus is our truer and better sacrifice. So I have three points of the sermon this morning. The first point is this, Yahweh is a terrifying God. The second point this morning is this, Yahweh is a dangerous God. Finally, I want to end in the same place we were last week with this dilemma. The third point is the dilemma. And the dilemma, as we saw last week, is, is this. How, how can, can a holy, terrifying, dangerous God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? In other words, how can we have a relationship with this awesome God? So let's start with the first point this morning, Yahweh terrifying God. If you would look at verse 16, it says this, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud. God's presence, in other words, as he descended on Mount Sinai was like a a massive thunderstorm. In fact, again, Moses said thunders and lightning and a thick cloud. Now in Hebrew, that word thunders really literally means just loud noises, loud sounds. It's often used to describe thunder, so therefore in the context of what Moses is saying, thunder is a good translation, but there's this emphasis on sound. In other words, the sound of God's presence was thunderous. Again, verse 16, it says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud. That word thick in Hebrew means dense or heavy or weighty or even oppressive. The presence of God, his glory, even oppressive, heavy. In fact, these are the kinds of words that often describe God's glory. There is a weightiness to the glory of God. Again, verse 16, it says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning 
a thick cloud, and on the mountain, a, 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 and a very loud trumpet blast. Now, trumpet blasts often in antiquity was used to announce the arrival of a king. In fact, you probably can picture a movie in your mind or a scene where a king is arriving into a town and there would be trumpet blasts to summon the people's attention to the arrival of a king. Well, look at verse 16. It says, a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, the Hebrew word for tremble there is a good translation, but it's also translated throughout the Old Testament as panic, frightened, afraid, terrified. Therefore, all the people in the camp trembled because says this, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. In other words, when the trumpet sounded, when, when God's arrival came and everyone could hear it, Moses had the people leave the camp where they were camping and come to the foot of the mountain outside of the boundaries that, boundaries that he set up the day before. concept of smoke and cloud, why God seems to always in his presence have a cloud or smoke around him that was used to display God's heavenly glory. But it was also used to veil his holiness to protect the people. It pointed to the transcendence of God, the otherness of God. Again, verse 18, it says this, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. He descended on it in fire. We talk a lot about smoke. Why fire? What does fire tell us about God's presence? It's interesting. For one thing, fire connects us to another part of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Right? God revealed himself to Moses in what? this is the same area that the burning bush took place. There's a connection that the author wants us to see between the burning bush and Mount Sinai. And remember, what were the first words that God said to Moses after calling his name and getting his attention towards the burning bush? What was the first thing that God told Moses? Do not come near. The very first thing he says to Moses. Moses, don't you dare come near. Do not come near, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place of which you are standing is holy ground. Most theologians believe that the fire at the burning bush at Mount Sinai and throughout the scriptures is a display of God's holiness. The fire on the mountain, in other words, displayed God's bright and burning of his holiness, the holy character of God. Again, it says, the Lord had descended on it, on the mountain, in fire. Now 
there's something else I want to point out about this passage. It says the Lord, again, capital L-O-R-D, so that's Yahweh, has descendants. He's descendants. Look at verse 11. Turn back if you have to in the page in chapter 19, verse 11. It says this, and be ready. They're getting ready for God's appearance. And be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down. Scripture is very clear on this. Let me just give you one passage. Psalm 139.7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed at Sheol, in other words, the grave, you are there. And it keeps going in this passage. And the Bible is very clear that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But at the very same time, God transcends his creation. In other words, he is far above his creation. He, he transcends his creation in his holiness, in his greatness, in his glory. Therefore, metaphorically, he has to come down from heaven to interact with his creation. Again, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly now i want to be very clear here this is a supernatural event moses wasn't at a volcano erupting and assumed or mistakenly thought that was god right this was a supernatural event that was happening but it's similar in its description to a volcanic eruption in fact some commentators as i was reading and studying in this passage say that moses probably was just so lost for words and what he was seeing that he was just doing the best he could to describe it. He was using the most awesome natural events that, that man has ever witnessed to describe something that's supernatural, something so beyond words, so beyond human imagination that he had to stop right there and take a breath. And just think about it. on it in fire and the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln. He even uses an earthquake. The whole mountain trembled greatly. So the question is, is Moses giving just a clear description of what it looked like, felt like, sounded like, or is he just doing his best? I don't know, but what we know for sure is that this was an awesome, terrifying supernatural event. Verse 19. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder 
answered him in thunder. Even the sound of God's presence, even the sound was unbearable. Right? The trumpet grew louder and louder. God spoke in thunder. chapter 20, verse 18. Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 18 says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Terrifying. Listen, even Moses, even Moses, a friend of God, it says in Exodus 11, Moses spoke face to face with God as the man who is a friend, the faithful servant.
was no person in the entire Old Testament that was closer to God than Moses. Now listen to verse 15. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's not a God that should be taken lightly. shouldn't be an afterthought. There is nothing more important than your relationship with this God. He's not a life coach. He's not your personal therapist. He's not a grandfather in the sky. He is God Almighty. God of the universe, the great I am, and I'll be clear on this, he is terrifying. Turn to Hebrews 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful ex- expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me just be clear. That's the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament. In fact, Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Jesus himself in Matthew 10, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. 1 Timothy six sixteen says, God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Listen, that's the New Testament. That's the New Testament. We worship an awesome God. A God who dwells in unapproachable light. Yahweh is terrifying. I want to be clear on this. It's not just theatrics at Mount Sinai. It wasn't just theater. God wasn't just putting on a show. Yahweh is terrifying because Yahweh is a dangerous God. It leads me to the second point this morning. Yahweh is a dangerous God. God is a dangerous God. Let me just ask this. Have you ever heard that before? often this 
is preached now to us. God has made this guy. You know, we hear over and 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 over again. God is love. God is love. Don't get me wrong. The Bible's clear. God is love. It says that in 1 John like three times and that's it. How people preach nowadays, it seems like it would be in every single book on every other verse. God is love, but he is also terrifying and dangerous. Turn back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 20. I'm going to say this as we get there. God is love, but because of our definition of who God is, we have such a cheap view of love. You cannot understand the depth of God's love unless you understand the depth of God's holiness and wrath and hatred towards evil and sin. this. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. Warn them, Moses. Go down and warn the people. Let they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Verse 22. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. It is dangerous to be near God. It was dangerous for the people of God to be near the mountain of God. It was dangerous for the the priests whose job and calling was to come near to God. It was dangerous for them to be near God. God would break out against them, it says. It doesn't mean that the Lord would break out against them. But we'll be back in Exodus chapter 19. Turn to Leviticus chapter 10, just real quick. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. We don't know exactly what the unauthorized fire was but they were in the tabernacle meaning they were near God's presence and they didn't follow God's instructions completely. Instead they offered unauthorized some of your translations strange fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. Look at verse 2. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed. God's holiness, in other words, broke out against them. 
consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. People cannot come up the mount or Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, "Set limits around the mountain and consecrate." In other words, God gives this command to Moses to go down and, and tell the people not to come up. And Moses says, "Hey, we put barriers up. They're not going to cross these barriers." The Lord said to him, verse twenty-four. The Lord said to him, "Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through. Go warn them again, Moses." Come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Now, if you follow this passage, this is the third time God has told Moses to set up boundaries and and tell the people not to cross it. Meaning, this is an important part of this passage. Something repeated three times like this is trying to get our attention to understand. You see it the first time in Exodus chapter 19, verse 12. It says this, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to... Go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. This is before God's presence is on it. If anyone touched the mountain, they should be put to death. In fact, if you keep reading, we saw last week, you should not even touch the person that touched the mountain. Exodus 19.21, after God's presence was on the mountain, it says this. It's our passage this morning. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. Moses, go warn them lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And then three verses later in Exodus chapter 19, verse 24, he says this, Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. God is emphasizing especially in the Old Testament, that, that, that has been here since the garden. Where God used to dwell in the midst of man, where man sinned, and now there's a separation between man and God, a holy God and a sinful God. 
question is this. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful world? How can God live in the midst of Israel? How can God live with man and not consume them, not destroy them, not break out against them? Because God is holy and man is sinful. This is such an important question for us. In fact, Exodus presents this question. It's such an important question because it gets to the essence of how we can have a relationship with this awesome God. God is holy and we are sinful. Which brings us to the third point this morning. says this, and God spoke, meaning out of the cloud, on the mountain, out of the fire, God spoke, and he's going to give Israel the Ten Commandments, just think about this, the importance of these Ten Commandments for a second here, Exodus chapter 22 through 17, God gives Ten Commandments from his very own thunderous voice. He will write these Ten Commandments down on two tablets by his own finger. He will have these two tablets put in the Ark of the Covenant, which will be placed in the middle of the Holy of Holies, which the Holy of Holies is right in the middle of the tabernacle, which is going to be placed in the middle of Israel, God's people. In other words, the Ten Commandments will be at the heart of the nation of Israel, which makes chapter 22 through 17, the Ten Commandments, very significant. But I want to point something out this morning that I think is very interesting and important. Location. Remember what I have said, that often, not always, but often within Hebrew writing, the main point is often right at the center of the story. For us Westerners, again, the main point is usually at the end, we build up the argument, then we have a conclusion, which is the main point. Right? This is true in letters, essays, stories, narratives, we watch a movie, normally the conclusion, the climax is at the end. Even whole books, the last few chapters, resolves the question at the center. But in Hebrew writing, often the center is the most important point, the focal point. Guess what's right at the center of Exodus? spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God what is that it's a burning bush I am capital L-O-R-D that means Yahweh God's covenantal name the name he's revealing throughout the whole book of Exodus I am Yahweh it's a burning bush God is revealing his name by his own voice, and he reveals it 
with ten words, ten commandments. And just to warn you, we're going to spend some time on verses 2 to 17. Very important. Today, I want to bring your attention to where the Ten Commandments are found. They're found right in the middle of the book of Exodus. But here's the problem with the book of Exodus. The law, the Ten Commandments are the foundation for all of the law. All of the law comes from, from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a summation of the whole entire law. The law does not resolve this dilemma. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? The, the Ten Commandments can't resolve this. The, the book of Exodus is very clear on this. You do not see a, resol a resolution in the book of Exodus. In fact, turn with me to Exodus chapter 40. The book ends with this dilemma. It ends as an incomplete story. Exodus 40, verse 34, the very last paragraph of the book. It says this. Then the cloud, what's that? Cloud, what is it talking about? This cloud, right? This glorious, terrifying, dangerous cloud, this weighty cloud. Then the cloud covered the tent of meetings and the glory of the Lord filled Israel have a relationship with God and in fact how can anyone have a relationship with God if Moses can't even enter the tabernacle right if Moses can't even draw near to God how can anyone draw near to God that's how Exodus ends it ends with a major problem with a dilemma and the problem introduces Leviticus is going to address this problem and it's going to give the answer. Now here's what I find just super surprising before I started studying a little bit deeper into this. If you outline the entire Pentateuch, all five books which are connected, Exodus 20, which we're in today, where Israel is encamped around Mount Sinai, right? All the way through Numbers 10, meaning all of Leviticus, the first 10 chapters of Numbers and the last 20 chapters of Exodus, that whole entire time is at the foot of Mount Sinai where God is giving the law. What's interesting to me is that the Ten Commandments are not found at the center of the law. They're found at the beginning, but not the center. They're found at the center of the book of Exodus, ends in a dilemma. 
leads to the question, what's at the center? Let me just ask this in another way. What's at the center of the entire Pentateuch? Moses' writings. Well, let me give you a hint. Five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's at the center? Leviticus. It's in the middle. Leviticus. This is not an accident. Exodus sets up this dilemma. Leviticus resolves this dilemma. Let me ask another question. What is in the middle of Leviticus? Again, often the main point in Hebrew writing is right in the middle of the outline of the book of Leviticus. Thematically, the center, the middle, is clearly chapter 16. sacrifice that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made clean. In fact, Hebrews 9.22 says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without forgiveness of sins, there is no relationship with God. There needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now listen to 1 Peter 3.18. Christ, God's own Son, means, and I want you to grasp this, 
This means at the center of the Pentateuch, right at the most important place of the law, we find Christ. We find grace. We find God's love. Israel forward to the true sacrifice that would take away sins. He pointed to Jesus. All the act, a, animal sacrifices on the day of atonement, in fact, all the animal sacrifices we find in the book of Leviticus did absolutely nothing to make someone clean. They all just pointed forward to the one sacrifice that would make people clean. says he crushed his own son that whoever believes in him should not have to live. That's what love looks like. Turn to Hebrews 10 if you have your Bible. This is the place where even Moses could not draw near to at the end of Exodus. Again, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to verse 22, Let us draw near amazing statement. We can draw near to this holy God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The dilemma is solved. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus made us clean through sacrifice, through atonement, given us the ability confidently to draw near to the holy awesome God in fact he's given us the ability to call on his son Father Amen let's pray
I take that for granted. And I take the fact that I can get on my knees and cry out to you and you would hear me. That you would encourage me to talk to you. God, I repent and have forgiveness for what I've done. But I don't always reflect on what it means that I can call you Father, that you have adopted me as a son. Not because of any works that I have done, that any of us have done. You made that clear in Exodus. The, the law just ends in a dilemma still. There's still a separation. It's only until we get to Leviticus that we see sacrifice and, and death and, and blood and an, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, Lord, that point us to Jesus, that you would send your son to live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, and that you have proven that and satisfied your